Hey, Story Show listeners, Jeremy here. Angie Shane and I usually begin each episode by talking about that episode's featured storyteller and some of the themes and ideas from their story before playing the story and allowing you to listen to it. This time we thought we'd try something different. We're going to listen to the story first and chat afterwards. So we'll meet you in about nine minutes on the other side of this story from our summer 2019 show. Enjoy. Among swimming thousands of yards a day, running miles in intense heat, debating pressing global issues at Model United Nations, and serving smiles at eating ice cream, Jada finds that working at an ice cream shop is the hardest thing she does during the summer. <laughs> like, how do you just sit and not eat ice cream all day? <laughs> she hasn't yet figured that out, though she often claims to be vegan. She has, however, been vegetarian since age 12 and would like to remind everyone to eat their veggies. This is A Warm Drink of Water by Jada Kozalik. My mom raised me to be open-minded. She made sure that I understood that everyone on this planet should have equal rights to live a high-quality life even if in reality we are far from a world like that. With this mindset, I found myself getting in arguments at school over things like illegal immigration or healthcare affordability. I even wrote a bill for youth in government about implementing foreign language standards into elementary education because I feel that it is so important that as monolingual Americans, we make an effort to understand other cultures and plant seeds in our youth to create a more unified tomorrow. So. Last summer, when I was offered the opportunity to go to Jamaica and teach a music and dance camp to less fortunate kids, I was ecstatic. This was the difference I was finally going to make. Greater than arguing at school and writing fake bills at youth and government, I was going to make a difference in other people's lives. On July 14th, we embarked on our journey. A connected flight, two hectic airport experiences, and a lot of sleepless hours later, we started the climb up the mountain to a kampong in a sketchy van on a very sketchy road. I had agreed to sit on the left side of the van, which turned out to be the side that overlooked the edge of the cliff. I remember looking out at the vast jungles of beautiful plants and trees and the sun setting in the distance and thinking, I am going to die. <laughs> Already though, I was absolutely captivated by the atmosphere of Jamaica. When we drove into the village at some late hour of the night, we were greeted with the enthusiasm of Minnesota Vikings fans at the season opener. I honestly didn't know why they were so excited to see a bunch of motion-sick teenagers stumble out of a van, but our morale was instantly boosted, and it would stay that way for the rest of the week. We had so much fun with the Jamaican kids that week. They thought that the frisbee we brought was the coolest thing ever, and we were all obsessed with the creative games they played. Something that was really cool to me about the way the kids acted was first, their kindness and willingness to share, but second, the way they interacted with each other. A five-year-old and a 17-year-old playing the same game of cards, both players obviously holding the same amount of respect for one another. A 10-year-old and a 16-year-old jumping rope together, laughing easily. They were all just friends, and that really contributed to the feeling of family and belonging in the village. We were so incredibly different, yet during that one week, we bonded to the point where I felt like I had known Vanessa and Tamoy 
and little Kevin my whole life. This was all great, but in truth, Akampong was a very impoverished village, and it was heartbreaking to see, the, see and hear about the ways that some kids live their day-to-day -day lives. One of the simplest things that turned out to make all the difference between life in Akampong and life in Albert Lee was walking. Walking everywhere. It was perfectly normal to the kids. Walk to the spring to get water for your family, walk to school, walk to church, walk to work, walk everywhere. One day, a couple kids had walked back with us to our building after attending church that morning. As we walked, more and more kids joined us. It was pretty hot out. Somebody had actually already thrown up due to heat exhaustion, and we were all kind of sick of walking. I opened my water bottle to take a big swig of water, only to spit it out when I realized it was warm and tasted a little odd. I laughed and smiled down at the little boy holding my sweaty hand. His name was Nashan, a tiny four-year-old boy whose ribs were visible through his too small shirt. He looked up at me, then reached for my water bottle. I gave it to him, though I knew he were not supposed to give anything to the Jamaican kids. As he took a small sip, I remembered that the water in my bottle was gross and warm. I reached out to stop him, but he had already swallowed it. I felt kind of bad for giving him warm water, but then he took another drink and smiled at me. A wave of guilt consumed me. I had spit out perfectly good water because I didn't like the taste. I didn't like the taste of the water. As usual, Nishan was simply grateful. Clean water was not of abundance in a kampong. But I spit out that warm water because I could. Because even in a kampong, showering only when it rained and having to manually flush the toilet, I had absolute water security. Not once did I go to bed thirsty or worry about having enough water to cook dinner. I felt bad about that. I felt so incredibly bad about that. I wanted Nishan to live like I do, to never have to worry. I looked around at the kids, each and every one of them holding a hand, riding on a back, or hugging someone as we walked. They all looked far too joyful and content walking barefoot in the insane heat on the rocks and dirt that barely passed for a road. I convinced Nishan to ride on my back. I didn't want to walk on the rocks without shoes on, but he kept claiming he was fine. Experiences like this, and watching the kids try different Snapchat filters on my phone or asking if they could come upstairs with us to eat made me grateful for what I had, but even more impactfully, put a rock of guilt in my stomach. Throughout the trip and the ride home, I struggled with, why should I live a life of such fortune while these happy, amazing kids have so little? How can I live at home knowing that right now Nishan is in Jamaica and that he might be thirsty or hungry and what? What can I do about it? Upon arriving home, everybody who went on the trip was posting Instagram pictures, but I just couldn't find the perfect picture, the perfect caption to sum up the incredible experience I'd had. Our Jamaica Snapchat group was going crazy. Apparently, someone from Albert Lee who had not gone on the trip had seen our posts on Instagram and found them offensive, accusing one of the girls that went on the trip of having a white man's savior complex, something that I'd honestly never heard of. I learned, by means of Google, that the modern white man's burden complex suggests that the white man has a moral obligation to rule non-white peoples of the earth and improve their conditions as they are unable to do so themselves. How in the world did, world did the critic draw that off of a picture of a, a white girl hugging a little brown boy and a caption that expressed her love for him? The situation escalated and I started thinking more about the role that I played in all of it. I began to see it, the way we pitied the Jamaican kids, and the more I read about it, the more upset I got. I realized that there really was some truth in what the critic was saying, 
but I didn't know where to go from there. Of course, I couldn't share this with my friends from the trip. They were all far too upset to see the situation clearly. And I couldn't talk to the critic about it, as then it would seem like I was taking sides. So, I internalized it, and I thought it through with myself. What I decided was that, yes, we had succumbed to believing that the way the Jamaican kids live their lives was bad, that we needed to help them, and that we were the only ones that could help them. And although the holding tanks we helped fund would be a great help to the community, and the week we spent with the kids was happy and fun, that was altogether untrue. They were perfectly capable of saving themselves from whatever it was that we had decided was bad for them. And even further, I realized, to call the kids less fortunate than myself may have held true in certain definitions of wealth. My house has an oven and running water and two TVs. And most of the kids had none of these things. But I realized that to label someone as less fortunate based on their possession of material objects alone was absolutely incomplete because what I witnessed in Jamaica was not unfortunate. It was life, fortunate, pure life, untouched by materialistic standards and colored brightly with families and love. And with that in mind, there is nothing that I look forward to than returning to Jamaica and experiencing it in a new light. Hey, we're back. Yeah, so you've heard a warm drink of water. Angie, what do you think? Jada's amazing. Like, her tale, when you start out listening to it, you're like, oh, wait, where's this going? And then it takes a curve, and you're like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm on board. And then it takes another curve, and you're like, wait, where's it going? Mm -hmm. It's just this roller coaster. And, like, because her journey was just, I mean, it was a roller coaster. She was trying to figure out who she was, and, and still is. <laughs> like, she's 17. Mm. Um, I'm 40 years old, and <laughs> I'm still figuring out who I am, like, every day. So, like, uh, she's eons ahead of where I was at 17. I think what strikes me about about her story, and even, I mean, I know her from school and stuff, but just how self-aware she is and and being able to um instead of being threatened by those social media posts really examining like what maybe maybe i was maybe that experience wasn't exactly what i thought it was and because i mean especially in social media but in life in general most of us our go-to response is just defensiveness right and i mean sure. I, I won't speak for you too but that's my story. What are you insinuating? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what are you getting at? Well, not... I mean, she processed it pretty quickly in the story. The 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 surprise versus the ability to take a moment and look at it from a distance, that's a big ego drop. And a lot of us can't handle that that are twice our age or three times our age. And you're right, the automatic thing when we're defensive is to get mad. And... And when someone bruises our ego, we're just going to dump them like a hot potato, right? And Or lash out. And she she could have done all those things, but she really took that high road or whatever you want to call it and and took a, a, a chance to examine herself, which is a powerful witness to lots of people. Right. Yeah. I mean, she says in the story, like, she had that initial emotional reaction, mm -hmm. but then she was able to, like, convert that into, like, a logical place where she sat and sought information. 
out and then changed her worldview based on the facts that she now had. It's, it's impressive. It's, uh, I think one of the really challenging things about being that honest with yourself is once you've been public about your position on anything, it's really hard to backtrack. You know what I mean? And, you know, if she was, she and the kids in her group were sharing, you know, how they felt about the trip. And then they were, you know, and then she was challenged. And it's like, we run into this all the time in life where you take a position on something and you defend it. And how, how far, you know, at what point is it like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm beyond being able to change my mind because I'm on the record, right? And I want to look like a flip flopper or, and I don't even want to begin talking about what's going on in Washington right now, but you can draw <laughs> your, your own comparisons, right? We do live in a world that needs to be right. And the inability to not be self-reflective is is disappointing if we can't do that. I mean, that's what makes us better. That's what I like about the story show and her willingness to be vulnerable is the fact that she was willing to not just experience it, but then share it with a whole group of people who are two, three, four times her age <laughs> yeah. almost, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're looking at a variety of people that come to the story show, which is wonderful. And I, I heard people talking about how brave she was for sharing a story like that and how they never thought about it in the same way. Can you guys think of, and if you can't, that's okay, because this is really spontaneous, but can you think of like a, a position that you've taken on something where you were, uh, you know, feeling pretty sure about it and maybe even somewhat passionate about it, and then at some, other, some point we're like, man, I was wrong. No, but I mean, that's, I mean, I, I, I'm just throwing it at you, but, um, I, I've got one, I've got one that I can talk about. Um, so I, I used to have a monthly column in the local newspaper and, um, as a teacher, one of the, one of the issues one year was not just one year, it's been lots of years, but it was dress code issues. And I wrote, a, a column from a feminist perspective and but my bent was girls you should want to be you should want to be known for your minds and for things other than your body so dress codes aren't so bad like you know we, we shouldn't value ourselves based on how much skin we can show or whatever so that was probably six years ago when I wrote that and over the last few years by talk, I, mostly from talking to students and, and being a part of conversations, I, I'm, I'm on the other end of it. I'm like, dress codes unfairly target women and, we're, and they sexualize uh, girls in ways that we never do with boys. And so, yeah, so I would never have written, I, I wouldn't write that column again, you know. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> as, as I'm sharing it, Angie's rolling her eyes, going, yeah. "You wrote that, man." You know, do you, but do you see where I was coming New from Jam, originally? I love you. I... <laughs> but I, think, I think that we don't give people a second chance. We learn about their failure, and then, mm-hmm. or where we think they've gone wrong, and the, the transformation where we're losing some gracefulness in our cultural conversation right now I think yeah. and I think people who are vulnerable enough to say I changed my mind and I'm better on the flip side and 
I think there's some really powerful. Well, I, I, I don't even remember what I was reading. I've been reading a lot for school lately, but it said something about um, like the true sign of intelligence is the ability to change your mind and yep. say like, well, now with new facts, I was wrong. Oh, it was the lady who um, helped write the bill for No Child Left Behind. And she wrote a book that said we, we were wrong. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we were really wrong. Good, good for her. Yeah. <laughs> But that, I mean, that's huge though, isn't it? Because she's, you're, not only was she she publicly known for that and made a living doing that, but that's a lot of responsibility. That's a lot of people's time. That's a lot of, a lot of pain uh, that that bill has caused. Yeah. You know, and to be able to say, yeah, I, I was wrong. Yeah. You know? And it's, it's so interesting to hear someone like with good intention who like really mm-hmm. was coming from a good place of saying like, we wanted to help kids. And in theory, it was spectacular. Well, that's not like <laughs> Jada either, right? She's coming from a really good place. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think coming back on it was really powerful. Maybe even more doubly powerful because it was filled with these good intentions. I doubt there's very few people in the world that strike out in the world with their opinion thinking, I want to hurt people. Right, right. I want to make this world a worse place. Right, and I think <laughs> I'm only concerned about myself. It's just me and me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm so I, I'm a pastor, and so part of my religious world is that um, that that God is never changing. You don't have to use this stuff if you don't want to later. I'm um, cutting everything religious out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, there's powerful traditions, including Judaism, that says that when science explains something that religion couldn't, science wins. And a lot of people don't pay attention to those things because the narrative is a lot louder in another direction. And I live in the other other direction of that. Yeah. And and we live in a world that every time we meet as religious people, we say, somewhere along this way, we've gone wrong, and we're here to turn back. I mean... There's something powerful about when you can cut all this. Uh, (laughs) But I think there's something transformative in a moment in your life where you can ritualize something like that. And for Jada, it felt a lot like she had ritualized it because social media is our new ritual. Mm. It is the thing we turn to to like bring ourselves back into another framework. And that's where she was confronted, right in the middle of that ritual of pulling out her phone and flipping through. And then in the middle of that, she had to she had to let herself be transformed. And I think yeah. there was a great invitation yeah. for us all. Well, her ability to reflect is not a skill that everyone has. And like some of the most interesting people that I've met in my life have like a deep ability to reflect on their choices themselves. Um, and constantly evolve and change. And that's, she seems like a person who is going to be a reflector. Yeah, for sure. Hey, I think that's a good place to end. Cool. What do you think? Should we, should we try this again? This, this post talk rather than pre talk? I feel like we can talk more about the story and, you know, otherwise we're all, we're worried about giving too much away. Can we make changes if we don't have people like comment, subscribe, share? I think so. I think oh, we're pretty okay. fluid. Yeah, Shane's really stuck in his ways, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, so don't forget to join us at our next story show, which is Janu- January 11th. 11th. Uh, the theme is Pass the Plate, and we have some wonderful stories around the idea of food and family and community together. Hit us up for the next uh, podcast, and you'll find out who our speakers are. <laughs> <laughs>
Awesome. Until next time, this is the story show. Out. Bye. I don't know. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try that again. See ya. This is the story show. I'm Jeremy. I'm Angie. And I'm Shane. And we'll we'll see you next time. Bye. Hey, that was that was good, guys. Oh. That was good.